It's a four-week series that we're starting today. Invite a friend next week. We're going to look at how we can stay positive in a negative world. Admit it. How many of you have had negative thoughts over the last six months, seven, eight months? Raise your hand. I'm raising both of my hands right now. It's been crazy. It's been, uh, I, I mean, every time I, I turn on the news, I'm like, are you serious? Again? It's just craziness. Chaos. Uh, in politics, in, uh, in, with the pandemic, there's hardly college football uh, going on. It's, did I mention college football? It's crazy. It's so easy to be negative right now. And so we thought, what, what better time than right now to do a series, let's look at God's Word and let's, let's allow God's Word to tell us as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to we make sure that you see what God's Word says about the attitude we should have right now in the midst of all this craziness. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll come to, to every one of these uh, sermons in this series because we want you to see the benefit of being a follower of Jesus. The benefit is this, and this is kind of the, the big idea of this whole series. The benefit of following Jesus is this. You can be positive in a negative world. When all hell is breaking loose around us, when it's just total pandemonium and chaos, that you can still stay positive. You can still look on the bright side. And so we're going to look at that this, in, the, in this, these next three or four weeks together. Today we're, we're talking about the bright side of God's kingdom. We're going to look at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Just We're going to take a quick glimpse at the, the, one of the most famous sermons of Jesus, we have it, the cliff notes for it right there in the Bible. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. We're going, to be, we're going to be in that all morning as we go through this. So we're going to talk today about the bright side of God's kingdom. Next week, we're going to talk about um, how we can use praise in the midst of a pandemic, how we can use praise in the midst of all this negativity. In week three, we're going to talk about how prayer fits into all this for us. And then in the last week, we're going to talk about parenting and how we can be parenting on the bright side. Even if you're not a parent, uh, we encourage you to come because you're going to learn a lot about how to do relationships well. Uh, But we're going to specifically tie it to parenting, and I'm looking forward to that one. I know some of you are like, yeah, I need to learn how to stay on the bright side with parenting because it's crazy. You're with your kids all the time. Now school, who knows how long school's going to even be a thing. You're all going to be, all of you with young ones at home, you're going to be teachers again. Good luck with that. Crazy. But we're going we're gonna to stay positive. You know, in any culture, in any family, in any organization, there's a, there's, there's a culture that pervades that organization. And the culture that should pervade the kingdom of God, the culture that should pervade, the, the culture that should define us as followers of Jesus is one of positivity, not negativity. I don't know for you, if uh, any, any of you who are married in here, when you got married, you realize that it's the fusing of two families together. And if you had any experience like ours, my wife and I, when we, when we got married, we began to realize that we were going to have to figure out how our family unit was going to work, right? Because I had my family that worked a certain way. We swept problems under the rug. We never dealt with anything. We never did conflict. And it would all just blow up 
once or twice a year. Anyone, amen, anyone? Anyone in here? Yeah, you know that? Okay. Now, Tracy's family, that's not how they did it at all. They were like, if you had problems, you would deal with it. You'd get it, you'd get it figured out. You'd kiss and make up, and you'd move forward. You wouldn't hold grudges. You wouldn't have any of that kind of stuff. And so when we came together, like, I'm trying to do things my way, and she's trying to do things her way. And I'm like, why are you always picking fights? I don't understand this. Can't we just lift up the rug and sweep it under the rug, and everybody can be happy, Right? Well, that's not, that's, thank God, her way won out in our, in our marriage and in our family, and we do, we do things so much better. And you know, in families, there's all, there's all kinds of melding together. And some of you, some of you came from a family where you would say that we were pessimists. You don't have to raise your hands, but raise your spouse's hand if they come from that kind of a family. No, don't do that either. Some of you would say you come from a family of optimists. It's good to be self-aware about that kind of stuff. It's good to recognize I tend to look on the bright side or I tend to look on the dark side of things. My dad is an optimist. He's an eternal optimist. He always can find something positive. My mom is a natural pessimist. And so just to see them together, in fact, to see both of the way they view the world in me and my own, as, as I wore up here in my own head, and to see it in our own kids. We're going to talk about how being a follower of Jesus means that culturally, you should look on the bright side. Now, some of you might say, I've never heard of that before. Some of you might say, I've been a Christian my whole life, or I grew up in the Christian church, and I've actually never heard a sermon on how to stay on the bright side as a Christian, but I'm here to tell you, it was the whole theme of Jesus' first sermon. It's the whole theme of his longest sermon that we have recorded in the Bible in Matthew 5-7, through and so we're going to take a look at that together together today, staying on the bright side of God's kingdom. Here's the first thing we're going to learn. There's a reality in heaven that looks nothing like what's happening here on earth. Let's just pause and take that in for a second. Can we just give like an amen? Like a, let's do that, amen. Or some of you are like, I don't know what that means. So, So if you're not a church person, you can just say like, well, well, you know, or come on now. Or preach it, or something like, whatever you want to do, I don't know. But that's just like, like, there is a reality in heaven that looks nothing like what's going on in earth. Thank you. Jesus didn't wake up in heaven this morning cringing when he turned the news on, you know? Like, I wonder what's going on in heaven today. Heaven is order. Heaven is not chaos. In heaven, they're still playing football. I don't think that's biblical, but I don't know, whatever. The key to experiencing that reality, here it is. And this is what his whole sermon's about. So again, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 5. We're going to just jump around in it. But the key to experiencing that reality is to submit to the kingdom of God, not to try building your own. It's so easy in this world to get anxious and, and depressed, depressed because we're so focused on what we're building here on earth. You're... you're Bank account, your career, your family, your relationships. I'm not saying those things are bad. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are great. But if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, if you're putting all your eggs in the basket of who wins this November, guess what? Whoever wins this November, God is still on the throne. And the reality in heaven hasn't changed one bit. 
Because the reality in heaven is different than the reality on earth. What is real in heaven, what is true in heaven, is truer than what we're experiencing in this temporary world. Because that will never change. God is still on the throne. So if you want to start experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth, I had someone come up to me at the end of the last service and he says, you know, the truth is we can experience a little bit of that. We can, we can drag down a little bit of that reality in heaven onto earth. What's the reality in heaven? Order. God's in control. Everything's fine. God's not panicking. There's no anxiety in heaven. If you want to pull a little bit of that down onto earth, here's how you do it. The key to that is to submit to God's kingdom instead of trying to build your own and focus so much on what's temporary. That's the key. Let's look at the sermon. Jesus said this. In the first section of Matthew 5, in the opener of his sermon, he says this. God blesses those who, or another way to say that, some translations say, happy are those who. So what he's doing is he's trying to establish what's real in the kingdom of heaven. And remember, it's different than what's real on earth. Here's the reality according to Jesus. The blessed ones are the poor. On earth, the blessed ones are the rich. In heaven, the blessed ones are the poor, are the poor, the ones who realize their need for God. In, in heaven, the blessed ones are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. It seems like on earth, from our perception, it seems like on earth, the happy ones are the arrogant ones. Turn on any reality TV show, and you're going to see peacocks strutting around these men and women strutting around, and you're like, I mean, we just watched some, uh, Tracy was just scrolling through some real estate show, and I'm like, oh, man, there's nothing to get, I don't have anything against realtors. But some of them on TV are so arrogant. And they're so wealthy. I don't know anything about them. All I'm saying is it's easy to look at that and say, i got to try to keep up with those people. But Jesus said, happy are the humble, not the arrogant. In the kingdom of heaven, the blessed ones are the humble. In the kingdom of heaven, verse 10, the blessed ones are the ones who are persecuted. And we're like, that does not make any sense. Because on earth, it seems like the blessed ones are the persecutors. Or at least the ones with the smiles on their faces are the persecutors. The ones who are being persecuted usually don't have smiles on their faces. Kind of like joggers. Joggers never have smiles on their faces. Do you notice that? Like I drive by someone running, and I'm like, that doesn't look fun. Why are you doing that, right? In heaven, the joggers are the blessed ones. They don't look like it, but they're the blessed ones. In heaven, the happy ones are those who are persecuted. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. But remember, there's a different reality in heaven than what we see on earth. So if you live, if you align your life to what's going on on earth, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Jesus is inviting us in this sermon to become a part of his kingdom, and it works differently in his kingdom. You can be happy even if you're poor. You can be happy and blessed even if your heart is broken. You can have cancer and still be blessed. Your house could get knocked down by the hurricane and you could still be blessed because the blessing isn't about what's happening on earth. The blessing is about a reality that's bigger than that. Jesus quoted this passage from Isaiah 61. This was a prophecy about Jesus. So imagine Jesus saying this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And this is the opener to his sermon. He says, blessed are the people who are poor and brokenhearted and who are prisoners and who mourn. Blessed are you because God's kingdom works differently than the earthly kingdom. And so then in chapter 6 of Matthew, he teaches us to pray like this. He said, pray this way. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. I've prayed this prayer thousands of times in my life. But I want you to stop and think about the meaning of that section of the prayer. The meaning of that section of the prayer is really simple. It means that God's will in heaven is done differently than how it's done on earth. That God's will is perfectly obeyed in heaven, and it's not perfectly obeyed on earth. And if you want to bring just a little bit of heaven down into earth, you know how you can do that? You can start in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships, in your emotions. You can start being obedient to God's will in your little circle. You can start submitting to his kingdom. You know, we can't make... We can't make the people across the aisle from us politically, whatever that is for you, we can't make them submit to God's kingdom, but you can. You can submit to the kingdom of God. You can't make someone else do do the will of God in their life, but you can do the will of God in your life. Parents, you can't make your kids obey the will of God, but you can model for them that when you're obedient to the will of God in your life, in your relationship, in your marriage in your habits, when you're obedient to God's will in your habits, you can model that for them and they can say, huh, I see a little bit of heaven on earth right here in my parents' marriage. I see a little bit of heaven on earth. I want that. I want that. I, I, want, I want to decide. This is, my, this is what Tracy and I have tried to do for our kids is we, we know there's a battle for their souls just like for every kid. There's a battle for their souls. The best thing we can do is try to live this out in our little family. We're not perfect. Well, I'm not. Tracy is. But so together we're not perfect. But we're trying to live this out in our, in our marriage and our family and we want our kids to look at that and we want our kids to pray that same prayer. We want our kids to say, I see mom and dad do that, being, being God-honoring in their choices, praying, God, let your will be done in my home. Let your will be done in my home. And then, then my, my kids, when they get married, I want them to pray the same thing. Let your will be done in my home. I'm going to bring heaven at least here. I can't bring it everywhere, but I can bring it here to earth. Could you imagine if, if more and more Christian families would just do that? Would just would, would bring God's will into their home, into their family? Could you imagine collectively what would happen in the world if everyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus started living like it? Started, started actually seriously praying this prayer? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, at least in my house. That's how I want it to be. See, our job is not to withdraw from the world, but to be a witness to the world. And we do that 
by living according to God's standards, by reflecting the heart behind his rules. That's, that's the next section of Jesus' sermon as you move on in Matthew 5. As you continue to read, he starts talking about, you've heard about these laws, you've heard about these rules, but he's saying, I want, I want you to know there's a new way. There's a new way I want you to, to think about living in this world. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Remember, he's speaking to his followers. You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is one of the best times in history, certainly in my lifetime, this is going to be one of the best times in my lifetime to be a city on a hill because people in the world, guys, are desperate for a solution. And we as Christians have the solution because we look on the bright side, unless we don't. Unless we're pessimists like the rest of the world. Unless we pol- we're polarized like the rest of the world. But if we make a decision, I'm going to be a city on a hill. I'm going to, I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to be positive to the people around me. I want to show people who are filled with anxiety and depression and fear. I want to show them what, it, what it's like to trust in Jesus, even in the midst of this chaos in the world. I want to show them that. That's why I love that video at the beginning. You know, Joel was sharing about, instead of just being sort of drugged down into negativity, he said, I'm going to start discipling this guy. You know Tyson, who he shared about? Tyson, two months ago, came to us at Alpine. He goes to one of our campuses, and it's because of the chaos of this world that he's like, I, am, I need something more. And that's what led him to meeting with Joel. And Joel started discipling Tyson because Tyson was freaking out because of all the chaos in this world. And Joel came in and Joel's like, hey, look, man, it's, look, it's, God's got it under control. And Joel started meeting with him and modeling for him what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and to have faith in Jesus and, and, to, and to not worry so much and not to be filled with anxiety and it started rubbing off on Tyson until just a couple weeks ago. They, they got to that topic. You saw that, and, and he read that in Matthew 10, 9 and 10 about trusting in Jesus. And tr- Tyson trusted in Jesus. Guess what? Joel was a city on a hill. His positivity, his willingness to enter into this, this guy's life, another guy just like him who could relate to him, his willingness to do that led to Tyson's faith. Tyson is now part of the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? That might not have happened without the pandemic. And you've got Tysons in your neighborhood. You've got Tysons at your workplace. Young people, you have Tysons in your schools. There are people who are desperate for an answer. We have the answer. Jesus is the answer. He always was, he always will be. Jesus is the answer. So we need to be a city on a hill. We need to be a light for the lost people. He says this, Matthew 5, in the sermon, Jesus says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but look at what Jesus is teaching in this groundbreaking sermon. He says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. I want to make sure that you understand the punch to this statement. If you were there listening to Jesus preach this sermon, if you were Jewish, you would have been like, wait, wait, what did you just say? 
Because what Jesus is saying is that in the Jewish culture at this time, 2,000 years ago, in the Jewish culture, what had, hap- what had seeped into the culture, I want you to hear this, what had seeped into their religious culture, and this can happen today in our church, what had seeped into the religious culture is this idea that we should be hateful toward our enemies. This idea that we should be mean toward people who disagree with us. Does that sound familiar? 2,000 years ago, that's what seeped into the religious culture in Jesus' day. And I want to point something out here. It actually says this. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor. Do you notice that those are in quotes? The reason those are in quotes is because that's actually a quote from the Old Testament. The Old Testament actually says, the, old, the Mosaic law says that you should love your neighbor. It's in the Bible. But do you notice that hate your enemy is not in quotes? Do you know why? Because it's actually not biblical. See, what had happened is what happens in religious cultures. We take something that's biblical and then we add our own spin to it. We add our own twist to it. Love your neighbor is biblical. And then after generation and generation of generation, we start thinking, well, then hate your enemy is also biblical. Seems to make sense. The Bible says love your neighbor. So therefore, the implication is hate your enemy. And that's how they were living. They were living in this incredibly polarized culture where where a Jew hated Gentiles. They didn't even eat together. You weren't allowed to eat. If you were a good Jew, you wouldn't eat with a Gentile. Kind of like if you're a good Republican, you won't eat with a Democrat. Do you see where I'm going with this a little bit? What had happened is what seeped into the culture was this just like unbiblical lifestyle that was so polarized, they were fighting over stupid stuff. They were fighting over stupid stuff. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and in his, basically his first sermon, his most important sermon, he's like, I want to set the record straight. Love your, love your neighbor's true, but hate your enemy was never true. It's never been biblical. In fact, he said, I'm going to be clear. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So I want you to think about this right now. I want you to apply Jesus' sermon to your own life. Who's a person that just bugs you like nobody else? I'm not going to tell you that person's name for me, but I've got a bunch of those people. Some of them I don't know personally. They're on TV. Or they're on social media. Or they're on Twitter. Whatever. There are so many. We, you know, we run these YouTube channels, and we get people all the time just hating on us when we talk about Jesus all the time. And I want, so, I want so bad to just hate on them back. But Jesus says, don't. I don't have to disagree. I don't have to agree with someone to love them. And when I disagree with someone and hate them, I'm actually being anti-Christian. Christians, we need to get good at disagreeing with someone and still showing the love of Jesus to them. We need to get good at at loving our enemies. Because that's looking on the bright side. And then when people see us, could you imagine if every Christian on social media just was loving, not hateful, just loving, even though we stand our ground when we need to? Could you imagine what it would do for the kingdom of heaven? So many people would want in. That's the kingdom Jesus wants to invite people into. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of. Living kingdom first lives 
is a fundamentally different way to approach the world. It's different than how the world approaches relationships. And here's the, here's the benefit to it. It frees followers of Jesus from the fear and anxiety that dominates the hearts of unbelievers. You know that Jesus actually says that unbelievers, one of the downsides of being an unbeliever, and some of you are like, well, what does that even mean? An unbeliever is someone who has not yet entered the kingdom of heaven. It's someone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus. So every week, there are always unbelievers at church, and we're so grateful. We want to invite you in. We want you to sort of kick the tires of Christianity. We want you to kind of listen to see, like, what is being a Christian all about? Well, I hope you're hearing what it's all about today, even though maybe you know some Christians and you haven't seen it before. This is what being a Christian is supposed to be all about. But if you're not a believer yet, I want to, I want to, I want to point something out to you, that the result of not having faith is fear and anxiety, and it will dominate your heart. And some of you might say, that explains a lot. Because I'm filled with anxiety right now with what's going on. Jesus himself said that that would happen. Look at what he says. Matthew 6. He's, remember, he's preaching this sermon. He says, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we wear? Sorry, what will we eat? What will we drink? Which mask will we wear? He's, you're like, wait, that was in the Bible? No, that was my own little spin on it. Jesus is saying, look, he says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Finances, shelter, food, all the kind of stuff that's dominating our thoughts in this pandemic. He said, these things dominate your thoughts. But he says this, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And that's supposed to make us as followers of Jesus say, that's nice to know. It's not all up to me. I don't have to turn the news on and wonder who's on the throne today. Jesus is still on the throne. Never stepped off of it. And that's why Jesus said this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That's your job. And he will give you everything you need. He won't necessarily give you everything you want, but he'll give you everything you need. When? When will he give you everything? When you seek the kingdom of God first, rather than seeking your kingdom. Don't put all your eggs in the basket of your 401k, or your job, or your house, or your health. Because that stuff will disappoint you. It's bound to. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better here on earth. I think personally, not to be a pessimist, I know this is about being on the bright side, but let me just tell you this. I think on the earth, it's going to get worse this next year, not better. But as followers of Jesus, we're still blessed. God can use it for his kingdom. God can use, use it to advance his purposes, and I think he will, and I want to be a part of that. But my job is to seek the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added to me. And that's your job also. If you're a follower of Jesus, I challenge you to really take it to heart. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll stick around. Maybe come and talk with me afterward because I would love to introduce you to Jesus today. Let's pray. God, I praise you 
that you have given us the key, the secret to staying positive in a negative world. I thank you that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to be filled with anxiety and depression. But as followers of Jesus, we can, we can rest, truly rest in the knowledge that you are sovereign. Jesus, that you are still on the throne. You always were and you always will be. And so therefore, God, we pray as you taught us to that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to bring your kingdom to earth in as much as we are responsible for it to our homes, to our community, to our schools, to our marriages. God, I pray that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be the light to this world that is so filled with darkness. God, I pray that people would see the bright side through us. And I pray that your kingdom would grow as a result of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.